I've had seasons averaging 30. I've been the guy waving the towel on the bench. You know, I went to the D League in the NBA being cut. That is why I can make what I can make in, in my opinion. And it's not, I don't think you can learn it anywhere else other than doing it. Welcome to another quarantine conversation, this time with Matthew Adekponya. We chat about playing pro basketball, creating content for the Boomers, Paddy Mills, Aaron Baines, as well as in the NBL and NRL. We also touch on topics like sports and politics and publicly listing salaries. Cool, mate. Well, uh, pleasure having you on, Matt. Um, it's been a long time trying to get you on, but we finally made it happen. Um, where do we find you? That, that's that's probably the first question from the top. In real life, in Sydney, digitally on Instagram. That, those are probably my main main ones. And if you're further than 5Ks from me right now in Sydney, you, you can't find me. You know, <laughs> lockdowns and all this nonsense going on here. How's, um, so obviously you came um, from abroad back, back to Sydney. Um, I've done quarantine myself in the hotels. Um, how, how did you find that? How was the 14 days in the hotel? At, at the start, I thought it was good. I was coming from an environment that was, you know, cramming 27 hours into 24. So I was, could you relax a little bit? But by the end of it, man, like it's an absolute mental grind, I think, just getting this routine you, the food starts tasting more and more like jelly that they supply you um yeah by the end of it i, I was just thinking to myself I, I can't do this again so the fact that you've done it multiple times like i tip my hat because that's yeah i'm not doing that again i feel like um day one to day sort of 10 is good but then 11 to 14 it just somehow compounds and then you just hit a wall <laughs> And I was all right. I had um, like I had a treadmill in there. I had some weights gear, so I could be active. Um, but yeah, it was just there's something about being in a room, and especially in Sydney, knowing that the cases are growing on the outside. So once you leave, you're going into a lockdown. So I think there was like there was just nothing to look forward to, and I think that's what was probably the hardest for me. Yeah, I um, my my like first one. Um, was like initial stages of um, like the whole pandemic. It was like probably like this time last year. Um, so it was all kind of new um, and kind of like felt kind of good being in a hotel put up. I didn't have to pay for it, which was great um, and that type of thing. But um, yeah, I feel like the more you do it, <laughs> the more it weighs on you. And I guess if we, if we wind back the clock, who is Matt? Like, you know, who, 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 what, like, what do you classify yourself as, right? Like, you've played basketball professionally in multiple countries. Um, now, I, I personally would regard you like the king of content in a sports lens in Australia. But, like, so, yeah, run us through who Matt is. I think uh, I am who I've always been, this little skinny kid from Cairns, you know, grew up barefoot out, outdoors and just have a really – broad sense on, on on life and on how things should be you know my mum's my white she's from the Netherlands my dad's black he's from Ghana you know I'm just born in Australia I'm not Australian by race you know I'm not indigenous so I've kind of lived in this third culture kid kind of environment where you're forced to view things really broadly or else you know you're going to get marginalized and discriminated against and all these things so I feel I've, I've still just been that, that kid growing up, you know, had a lot of opportunities to, to play sport the hard way, you know, I went to a small NAIA school. It's the only offer I got, you know, find a way to make it pro. Now in content, it's the same kind of deal. You know, it's just finding a way, looking at the environment and, and having a really diverse approach and seeing things that, are, in my opinion, other people don't see, even though they're right in front of them. Yeah, for sure. What's... Um... I guess for people that don't know um, about NCAA basketball, college basketball, um, how does how does that happen? Like, how how do you get a, a school to to want you want you to play for them, um, whatever level that is? Um, you know, you see a lot of guys and girls now over at, at college, but you wind back the clock um, during um, you know even five to six years ago, like it's it wasn't such a 
a prominent thing. People didn't know much about it. I think uh, earlier it was a lot harder to go there um, just, just purely because you can't be seen. You know, there wasn't all this hype on YouTube and social media. You're sending in DVDs and that kind of stuff for teams to watch you um, or you're trying to send them a full YouTube link and people don't really understand the difference between watching game there in real life. And th there also just wasn't enough Aussie success at the college level. Um, you think back to like the Paddy Mills, the Delver Dovers and those kind of guys who really started making noise at St. Mary's. That's what's paved the way for these kids today where if you're half decent from Australia, I feel you can get looks from Division I schools. Uh, we have like... and. That's not saying that the skill's not as good. It is. But it's just that it's known now that there is talent in Australia. It's always been there. It just hasn't made its way to be visible in the States. So now you can see, I think every year we have the most kids we've ever had in college basketball, just purely by being seen. Back in the day, you hear all these kids who go to AIS, they might have one or two offers. So then for a kid like me, never made a state team, never made these junior national team. If you get one offer, you just have to go because that's it. And I got a little offer from a town in Columbia, Kentucky. 30,000 people live there and cool. You know, I'm out. I'm taking that. And that was kind of, kind of how it went for me back then. And yeah, I was stoked that I had the opportunity in the first place. Yeah, for sure. I think um, that experience at um, college sports is like something you can't really describe. Like, I um, talk to the guys that are still playing um, college football now and, and I go back to what you just said about Patty and, and about Delhi and, and those guys paving the way for, for the guys now. Same, same scenario, you know, um, a guy like Michael Dixon, for example, um, played um, from Sydney and went to the University of Texas, arguably the biggest football school there is in the country, um, plays amazingly there and, and then gets a look at the Seahawks in the NFL and now... Um, you know, Australians as a whole, um, I guess, have a bit more um, understanding of football or American football. Um, I guess, you know, you did your college degree, um, you know, you played over there and then you went into the professional ranks. Yeah, I got, um, I, I got an opportunity to play for my hometown, um, the Cairns Taipans. And I guess the word play is pretty loose. I just sat on the bench. Um, for, two, for two years and I played state league in the off season. So uh, I had that conversation with them and I was like, hey, am I going to actually start play, playing here? And um, to, I didn't like the way it was managed at the time. I felt as a young kid, a lot of arrogance, a lot of, I guess, very naive at my end, you know, oh, I can play with these guys, I can do this and that. Maybe I could, maybe I couldn't, I don't know, but I just knew I wanted to play and they said I wasn't going to be there. So um I cut ties and they were like, Hey, if you, if you leave here, like, that's it, you know, you're done. You're going to have to find another opportunity. Um, and I saw a few guys who came before me and they stayed and they, they, they worked five, six, seven, eight years for, for no contract, or they might've played one season, maybe one and a half. So I was like, well, I got nothing to lose. So I'm out of here. And I made my way to Europe um, via, uh, this other small town in North Queensland called Mackay. They gave me an opportunity to come and play state league there. And I got to play uh, more minutes than I have before and did enough to, to, to get a few trials in Europe. And yeah, that was it. Then I was there for, for five years playing all year round. You know, I just always thought back to those days in Cairns and, oh, we're not sure if you can play. We're not sure about this. So I just made it like, I'm going to play whatever league is happening somewhere. I'm playing in it. Like I want to play as many seasons as I can um, while I can. I don't want to have an off season, you know, I, I just want to play. And that's, I think when you think back to when you're a kid, it, it was the same kind of concept, you know, you just want to play because you love it. And however long you can do that. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, and like, just from a, I guess, an Australian basketball perspective, like everyone sees the guys um, most dominantly in, in the NBA and that's all they sort of, pay attention to but there's just so many guys that are super talented in Europe what's the European experience like you know I've read articles about just not getting paid um, things just being like an uphill battle not just on the court but off the court as well I think on the court's easy you know you, it's like if you know how to play this sport you know what the hoops are the same height balls the same you know 
doesn't matter what language it is when it's drawn up on the whiteboard it's all it's all the same so for me that was the easy part like yeah some seasons were great some weren't but off the court is a um it was a real battle i, I the way I play is un, a little bit unorthodox. So I found myself in a lot of those similar teams where you have foreign players from Serbia and, and other countries taking the American spot. So, you know, I've been in situations where the coaches coach in their native language and you're having an assistant who speaks maybe 300 words of English total saying like, hey, do you understand? And they draw it up on the whiteboard. And you're kind of just sitting there by yourself um, a few a few years, you know, that, that's, all you, that's all you have. And the money coming, it, it eventually comes, whether it's late or not, you know, sometimes you might miss a month, but other countries, you know, you make up for it, you might get a few bonuses that weren't in your contract and it's just different. Um, but it's pure as well. At the same time, Europeans love their, their basketball in, in some countries. And I feel that the passion was a little bit different to Australia. You know, there was a lot more interest in every single possession, not just the highlights. Um, and it's just a pure game. The NBA, it's not a pure game. Um, it's an entertainment game. The rules are literally for entertainment. You're not allowed to play defense in the key way, all these other things. Um, but yeah, the European experience for me is great to say that you've done it and, and to play pro and all that. But I think it had a much bigger impact on just growing up and understanding understanding the world, understanding um, different cultures and you know what it kind of takes to, to make it in some tougher situations and then you move on to the i guess the other side um behind the lens shooting um telling stories where does that all start it starts back in europe um when i signed my first contract the first thing i did was bought a camera just because being a kid from cairns you know you're in the european basketball season is through winter and i knew that if i didn't get outside I was going to be done for, you know, I just get in a bad routine, play video games and, and just sit there for eight months. So I bought a camera um, and I just went outside every off day that I had. I just forced myself outside, learn how to take photos, go on YouTube, ask questions, you know, write notes in my, in my phone and just figure out how to use this thing on full manual settings. Um, didn't shoot any video at the time. I was just learning how to take photos and it was more like a, a mental health, thing that I did for myself, not really, I never viewed it as something that would turn into I don't know, a job or, or anything like that. It was just something I did for fun, but that's kind of where it all started. And then um, do you have like a, a bit of a moment where you're like, I'm actually okay at this, like maybe um, post basketball, I can actually do this and it can actually be the, the thing that uh, puts food on the table for me. I never viewed it like that, but I thought it would be a, like a supplementary source of income or it could be, uh, I guess is the better word. Um, one of my coaches, he, he brought me to Papua New Guinea one year. Um, I'd just been injured, so I just missed a little bit of time. He's like, hey, do you want to come out here and, and make something? Um, and I was like, all right, like, what does that look like? And it wasn't until I was making things and I saw how people reacted to it I'd, I'd only ever shoot for myself and like for my friends on Facebook or whatever that looks like you know make little GoPro videos but went to Papua New Guinea never had made videos before and I made like a 30 to 40 minute documentary on this basketball team there and it just went crazy in Papua New Guinea and I was like oh wow I know absolutely nothing about this camera I don't know how to use it you know people like the photos maybe there maybe there's something here um and it right after that, you know, you start getting these small little gigs and you start meeting people that view you as this guy who made a documentary, not as a basketball player. And I think that's when the, once I started getting viewed like that, it really opened my eyes to like, Hey, I can do something here if I can figure out how to use this thing. Yeah. Um, I guess the first sort of um, inkling for me and looking at your content was with the Illawarra Hawks and, and Lamelo Ball, obviously, um, Lamelo Ball, uh, big name in when he came to play Australian basketball, and is now um, on the team that I support, uh, the Charlotte Hornets. So very happy about that. But um, was that sort of, I guess, uh, your sort of inkling and starting to get the dominoes to fall for you to sort of create that, I guess, uh, multifaceted career path of you know working in the NBL. 
um, getting it, getting a name out there for the boomers as well. And then obviously subsequently working for the guys of, of, of the likes of Paddy Mills and, and, and Aaron Baines. I think that that was the timing was really funny with the Illawarra one because I was just about to go to the world cup um, with, with the national team. And I got that job by working in London before that for, for his team called London city Royals. I've now folded, you know, that might get 500 fans at a game or something um, really great guys. And I use that thing to make a concept of storytelling in, um, I don't know, I guess a quick turnaround environment. A, a friend of mine who actually edited Building Titans was in this London team before. His visa ended, he went home and he's like, hey, do you want to take this thing over? Um, this is what we're doing. And I was like, yeah, sure. Um, and that was where I really built this concept that people saw in in Illawarra and with the boomers um, in terms of making, I don't know, little story pieces on the games and the behind the scenes, but that's where it was. That's where it started. And going into the national team, Illawarra was like, Hey, we want to get you on board. And once I started with the national team, then I had like Sydney was interested and Brisbane was interested. Um, but I didn't want to work full time. I just wanted to work for that season and then kind of reevaluate because I, I felt I could, bring something really different to the NBL content space. And Illawarra kind of just said, you can do it your way. Um, we'll have you for this amount of time. So uh, yeah, I, I took that. And when I signed to, to go and make content there, I had like a three to five year, I guess, vision in my head of, all right, I, I want to start here. And but in three to five years, I want to be the, the best guy in the NBL good enough that I can package up what I've done and then step up again. Um, and then I think it happened a lot quicker than I thought. Um, Lamelo there obviously helped a lot, but it was just the fact that people were watching these videos and I didn't understand why with my basketball hat on, we're coming last. We won five games, I think that season, and we won all the content awards. Um, and I didn't understand why people would still watch this team each week, usually taking a loss. Um, and I remember joking with the guys, you know, I'm running out of sad songs here. Can you get me a win? And, and people just watch this stuff. Um, and it was, it was like, wow, this is, this is crazy. And it, to me, it was, it wasn't easy, but it was, I was like, man, we're just, we're coming last, you know, it shouldn't be that great. Mm. Um, I, I was going to say, uh, you touched on sort of, um, I guess, coming in from a different angle. Um, there's something about storytelling um, that you've been able to tap into. And I think it's it's a, a down to um, the athletes and the guys that you're shooting for, just being able to relate to them on, on, on a personal level. Obviously, you've gone through it. You've played Pro Bowl. You understand what happens on and off the court and um, being really able to harness that um, and building that level of trust. Um, I guess, do you think that's the case? Because that's just me uh, from the outside looking in. No question. I think I've been doing this as like a job, whatever you call it. London was 2019 when I first started doing these things. Um, I, I did one or two before that, but it's only been two and a half years. To have the, the opportunities that I've had in two and a half years is unheard of in content. So I can't discredit the lived experiences and how much that has I guess fast forwarded the the time it takes for regular people because you just can't playing sport and you would know as well you just can't learn that you know you can't pay for that to learn it you can't see it on YouTube you can hear about it but unless you've been in those shoes and in that pressure cooker or in that environment you you just don't know in my opinion in terms of creating content that's in a sanctum anyone can go in there hit record and get a great scene of a coach going crazy or a player saying something but putting it together in a way that's interesting for the fan you really have to know what that player is going through um, and have at least spent something close to, to their shoes and I think like playing in Europe I've had seasons averaging 30 I've been the guy waving the towel on the bench you know I went to the D League in the NBA being cut all these experiences I've been the young kid trying to make it so I feel like I've spent a lot of time in a lot of different roles and that is why I can make what I can make in, in my opinion. And it's not, I don't think you can learn it anywhere else other than doing it. Mm. And 
you moved away from just purely basketball with the um, Gold Coast Titans in the NRL. Um, that's the National Rugby League for people that don't know. Um, I guess, like, was there a different shift in, in how, how it worked out there? Um, obviously, football and basketball um, in Australia is totally different, like just totally different settings, different types of dudes, um, different personalities, different backgrounds. Um, yeah, do you want to go into that a little bit more? That was... <laughs> I think for me, that was, that was the one project that I took on with the guy who introduced me to the London job. We, we come together with this was our first project. And I remember telling him like, we need to see if we're actually good at this thing or it's just that I know a lot about basketball. Um, and Justin Holbrook, the coach of the Titans, as you would be, um, a little bit hesitant on the whole thing, just because it's, it's in a sanctum. No team has really done this kind of stuff and here you're bringing in one random guy with, with dreads and a bucket hat you know what's he going to do um and he got the whole like you know he played sport blah blah he understood that but this is still his baby and he has some really high profile players and they, they come ninth so they're trying to keep things a little bit you know what we haven't made it yet so can we keep it about the grind and for me coming in I don't even, I didn't even know all the rules to this sport. So I had to ask him, Hey, can I come and sit in some, in some film, you know, not always just to, to film, but I need to try and learn what's going on here. I need to try and learn some concepts and what you guys are trying to do just so I can, when I'm watching training, understand what's going on. Cause that when the first month, it just looked like people roaming around all over this, but I had no idea what was, was happening. And I had a, I eventually grew into like a greater appreciation for, um, the tactics and in rugby league, I thought it was just you know high speed collisions all day, people running into each other. But it, there's a lot more to it than that, and it was a real process to to, to learn another sport and to to dive into it. But then when you when you strip it back to the people, that they're still athletes, you know, they're still at one part of their career. And um, luckily enough, this team had a lot of interest in the NBA, so they had a lot of questions for me about, you know, Patty Mills or the Boomers and, and this kind of stuff. So once I was there and they saw me putting in work, you know, rain, hail or shine, I'd be out there. There was a, a little bit, I don't know if it's respect, but it's just that, oh, he's given it everything he's got as well. So, you know, let's make this thing pretty cool. And and did you find like a, I'm like a big difference between like the guys um, and, and winning the guys over. Cause you can only tell their stories really once they believe that they can sort of share them with you. Um, yeah. Was that obviously in a basketball setting, you know, people obviously knew who you are or second and third degrees of relationships there, but you're going into a sport, as you said, that you had no idea about, didn't know the rules. Um, they probably just saw you, as you said, a guy with dreads and a bucket hat, um, who the hell is this bloke coming in? Like, I don't really want to talk to him. For sure. It, it was it was a while. And I think that you can't discredit going in every day. Like, you, you just have to go in every day. You know, if you spend enough time around people and they understand what you're about and um, you start finding out you have mutual friends and people of interest with these guys, you know, being to different parts of Australia, you know, being to different schools, we, we know different people. But, but it's just, it's a two-way street. Um, like, they obviously have to respect me coming in, but I, I have to be able to get myself to a level where I can truly respect what they're doing and, and understand what they've been through, not just as a person, but but as a club. And, and I think we got there. My intention was not to do anything other than tell a story how I saw it through my eyes. Um, I wasn't trying to throw anyone under the bus. I was trying to make something raw and honest that people support and understand that this isn't a club that's just, you know, taking the piss. They're trying to do good things here. And once uh, I think everyone was on the same page and actually got to show them what, what this thing looked like. Um, yeah, it was, it was unbelievable how much help the guys were just, just helping me understand the game, what's going on, what time practice is, if we have an event, all the, the one percenters that, I needed help with that was not understanding the people, the athletes space. Like I, I get a hard day at training who to talk to, who not like I have that feel from being on the inside. It's the same, but the one percenters that help that that's where it was really like a, a process for me to get to. And yeah, we got there in the end for sure. Moving on to like the boomers. Um, I feel like there's, there's some really sacred um, cultures in Australian sport, um, national team cultures. There's, 
the Boomers, there's um, in Rugby Union, there's the Wallabies, um, in soccer football, Socceroos, and then the Australian cricket team as well, um, under, I guess, the male banner. Um, I guess trying to, trying to share their story um, up until, you know, the success they've had recently. Um, how has that sort of unwound itself, I guess? I think... The reason that I first got into that is like I have obviously friends on the team and relationships there, but I still had to get my stuff to a level that would be of a standard of a national team. So I was number one. And then number two, it's like, how can I separate it so it's not a conflict of interest? How can I tell this thing neutrally enough for, for people to get around it and, and understand what this team is about? And that took me a little bit of time and research and I had to to dive deep into these other teams that you just mentioned, especially the, the Socceroos, um, having two parents from football countries. I've watched a lot. I used to play as a kid. And I just had to understand what was it about this team that brought people on a journey. Um, when, you, when you take your green and gold hat off and you just look at results, you know, they've never made it out of a pool at a World Cup. They're playing countries who no disrespect to them, are not massive sporting countries. Um, you know, they fight tooth and, and nail to, to, to qualify for the World Cup. And I was like, well, why, why do people like this team? They're, they're not... The Boomers are, at the time when I joined, were the fourth-ranked team in the world. They're always getting through the pools. Uh, I couldn't imagine the massacre if they didn't. And now you have the Socceroos, who is probably the most iconic national team that plays a world sport who's never made it out of the pools. So I had to spend a lot of time in that, in that middle area, understanding what, what makes the soul of a national team. And it's not, and it's not the results, it's the impact, you know, it's the impact you can have on a country. And I think that's what I learned a lot from the Socceroos that I've tried to bring into the boomers. And uh, while, while working with the boomers, um, were your gigs with, um, Paddy Mills and, and Aaron Baines, um, were they sort of coinciding with the boomers? Like how does that all jigsaw puzzle work? A little bit. And I, and I think that was like, that was all a part of it coming in. Like this is what I currently do. Um, there, there's not going to be any bias in this. Like I don't, it, it's a different job. So it's a, it's a different hat. Like, yeah, those two guys still have to have their things dialed in as well. But th those, those guys are the, are selfless they've done they've been a part of this team for so long knowing that my main focus is to grow a brand and a profile for this team it's like yeah like let's go you know the, the team lifts we lift it it's very um it's more the other way around it's those guys coming to me and be like hey we, we got a national team to to get going here you know let's show everyone what this what this whole thing is about so i think it's, it's less about me choosing and it's more them empowering me to to do what I need to do for the team. Yeah. And, and obviously like sharing the stories of guys that aren't as well known, um, you know, Duot Reith, Josh Green, um, these type of guys that are doing their thing at a high level, but being able to share their stories. Um, was that, I guess, something that, you know, you felt your, your obligation to really just expand on not just the, the guys that everyone knows, you know, Mills, Baines, Delhi, Ingalls. Absolutely. I think it was a, it was challenging this time to get out as much as I wanted because people don't understand once you hit that date early in July, you fall under the Olympic blackout window and anything that is not AOC sponsored, we're still training in night kits, the Olympic kit is ASIC. So anything that's shot in that we can't use until two days after the Olympics. So a lot of those stories will still come, I feel. And going into the World Cup, it's a lot easier to just shoot and show everything the olympic window was was harder for that so the focus was more on i don't know this team that their, their cultures how, how they operate you know what makes them tick um but those those new guys coming in and i think when you look even further down the road i'm not sure if you've seen it but you should have a look at the under 19 team Kodo and just look at all the walks of life in that team and i think this olympic campaign showed a glimpse of what's to come in terms of being, you know, a very diverse, very, very diverse team and multicultural team. Um, 
so, so that's the that's the main thing we're trying to get across here. You know, a win for this team is, is not just a win for Indigenous people or for whatever other race. It's a win for the whole country. And I think by the end of it, that's how people felt. You know, I think people really felt like, oh, we all feel a part of this team. You know, everyone's accepted here. We all win together. And I think that was a that was like the huge focus for this group. I guess just with your sort of um, roles with M- NBA guys, um, it's a really interesting environment in the NBA, right? Like you've got a player that's earning X amount of money. Um, they've got in their team, they've got a, an agent um, depending, you know, what level or, or tier star, I guess you want to call it that that player is. They've probably got a, a, a day-to-day manager, um, and they'll have you know their marketing person as well, and then they'll probably have some form of content creator, someone to build their brand, etc. So, I guess for, for the for the two guys you work for, what's that dynamic like? I think it's a, it's the word the word I use it's evolving. You know, commitments change now from from the league all the way down to to personal sponsors, and it's becoming more and more digital. So the dynamic is. It's it's never the same, you know. Every every single month in the NBA, you don't know what's going to happen, and people don't understand that. For these guys who are in the NBA from Australia, they're highly likely more popular there than they are back home, and that's just because of the eyes and the platform and the size of market. All these things, I get it, but like you need a you you need to tweak this dynamic in a way that allows time in the Australian market. And that's difficult when um, you have guys who live here and the agent might live there and the management's there and the sponsor's there. And I think that's why I use the word evolving because it's you're living every day. You know, you might need something to go out in Australian time. You might need something to go out in US time. Um, And you need to be able to get it out quick because NBA, you might play the next day or the day after that. So you need things, options, routes to go down. and of course, you need to do relationships with these people in their teams as well to, to be like, hey, this is what we need to do. But yeah, it, it's tricky. Um, if if you're an American player, you play for USA, you know, you're in the NBA, that's easy to me. You're in the one market. That's all you have to do. Post one time zone, live one time zone. But these guys who are Aussie and for someone even like Patty, you still hear people saying, oh, I didn't even know he's Australian. Like that, that's unbelievable to hear. Mm. And um, I, w- I was just going to say, like, um, someone like an Aaron Baines, um, like, his story to me is just so interesting of, like, you know, what's happened, like, the last couple of years, even, like, um, I don't even think I read an Australian article about him um, getting COVID. Like, I-, I found that through, through like, US channels. So Aaron and Patty, two very, very different brands. Um, Aaron is, like, a, his brand in the NBA, it's, like, a cult hero you know he's the guy who's made it for all the guys who i don't know haven't before you know big guy um average five to six points a year on his career five to six rebounds but he's still there you know undrafted um there's a there's a really funny quote from his first coach in europe that says if i if they can teach the russian bears how to ride a bike we can teach aaron baines how to play basketball you know, he's the guy who was never meant to make it and he's played nine seasons. Unbelievable. And, and you go somewhere like Boston and you match up with Embiid and you're getting these big stops at the right times and, and he's never lost to these big guys in the playoffs. You know, he always, every year besides a year in Toronto, he's gotten better. And it might be, however you look at it, he, he is probably one of the most hated and disliked guys in the NBA from viewers because he's not doing this and he's not doing that. But when it's all said and done, you know, at the moment he has the record for most threes in a game by an Australian with nine. He has the, and that's the same record for um, threes in a game by a center in the NBA. Um, and this is a guy undrafted. It's very different to, to someone like Patty who um, has a lot more, uh, I guess, limelight and a lot more, personal interest through culture and these other things so when you talk about Aaron he's like a a cult hero kind of guy there's only two types of people who are going to like Aaron you know the real rough around the edges guys and then all the underdogs who haven't made it 
and whereas Paddy, he kind of blends that line a little bit with different things as well. Still, you know, not a lottery pick, got it out of the mud. He, he's six foot tall and has <laughs> has played for so long at a high level, won championships, you know, carried the team to a medal, done all these things. But his, what he does off the court is, is completely different. So when you come into, like, the question you asked about, um, Patty, it's just, I don't know. You have to, you have to give the flowers to, to, to what came before that. And that is San Antonio. I think when it's all said and done, the casual fan will always look at Patty as, oh, he was a Spurs player, you know, and when we're having these conversations, it's like, well, you don't really say goodbye, you know, because you're going to see these people again, you know, you're going to go back there. You're going to be involved whether you like it or not, people are going to call you um, like your longest part of your career is going to be at San Antonio. So it's that, it's that diligent kind of way of be, being respectful, first of all, to what Patty feels about that city. Um, and then having something that's reflective of his time there. And for the, for that, it was, it was moments. It wasn't like a, a highlight tape of all the shots that he's hit. It's a moment. It's the impact that he, that he's brought um and with Aaron on the other side it's that you know we fought for everything and we gave it a, a red hot crack and we we died for this team you know and it's it's just it's just letting the players be who they are and you helping them I guess curate that um these guys are not they're not silly you know they have they have their own thoughts they are creative in their own right and it's just bringing that to life for them yeah, I, um, I guess like a real specific question here. Yeah, what people always want to hear is like, you know, when, when it's down to post, are they actually clicking the button? Because, um, you know, there's, there's, there's many an athlete in the NBA that isn't clicking the button for that Instagram post, that Twitter post. These guys are for sure. Like uh, that's, again, that's personal preference. If they didn't want to, we, we can do that. Um, but it, it's like, this is, these are their thoughts, you know, it goes back and forth, you know, how does this look? Because they're they're in, they're not like they're not reading all these comments and these tweets and these like they don't have time first of all and they, and they don't care enough. Like imagine whatever you do, you can be a garbage man. You have all these people telling you how to do your job. Unless you've done it, how much are you really going to take in? It's the same for these guys. You have all these nuffies and people talking about oh you need to do this this and this. They haven't even couldn't even score ten in social league. They're telling these guys how to play. So like they, they more touch face with us because we're in that other realm of like where we're in, we know what the public's thinking. Um, we have our ears to the ground in that stuff. And it's just making sure that one, it's relevant and two, it's, um, it's not tone deaf or it doesn't come across the, the wrong way, but it's, it's mostly their thoughts. And I think when you, when you look above um, Patty and Aaron, you look at like Cristiano Ronaldo and all these kind of people who are the megastars. It's just loose content and like a one or two line caption and they just beam it off. And, and I think the guys who do it the best, it, it is that loose kind of, it doesn't look like there's too much behind it. And that's how you can tell that there's a really good dynamic between the athlete, the content person and like the greater team and the greater message. You, you touched on about like comments and, and, and things of that nature. Um, we're in a, the day and age of um, trolls or people love to talk about trolls. Um, what, do you, what is your perspective on like trolls? First of all, unless it's, if it's a real human account, it's good engagement. But when I strip it all the way back to whatever it is, um, Aaron Baines last season, prime example, didn't have the one that he wanted. Engagement through the roof. So when I look at it from a, a financial standpoint, as long as that's a real account and not one of these like, I don't know, bot accounts, whatever, as long as that's a real person behind it saying whatever they have to say, it increases value because it's engagement. So whenever you have a platform that people give their two cents to either way, you're doing a great job. Um, I'm more thinking if the guys are really affected by it, then it's an issue and you can, you can look at that, but most guys who are pro athletes are not yet, you know, when you think of sport and you have to be, it's way more mental than physical. This is easy to deal with a bunch of nobodies talking about it. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really have a huge deal with it. And 
the boomers account for example we don't silence people if, if they want to if that's what they want to say as long as it's a legitimate account and it's not um racist or discrimination or one of these other kind of gray area things like you, it'll sit there because if you empower these people to, to say what they say during the hard times they're gonna you know be the, the loudest supporter when you win and i think the this olympic campaign showed that like the, the account has grown three times its size this campaign which is the same people who you see leaving these stiff comments at the World Cup and now the same people sharing this thing at the Olympics because they're invested in it. You know, whenever um, hate is much deep on, deeper on social platforms than love, if they hate something, they're going to keep coming back and try and find ways to hate it. So they're going to keep driving your account forward whether they know that or not. And I think that's one of the most underrated things about whether they're trolls or real people or whatever, um, like it's so helpful to grow an account when you have people who feel a kind of way about it. Um, but then it's the annoying side is whenever you're trying to do something good, there's always people who are just not happy enough. You know, we can do whatever and there's going to be one guy asking about something else. You, you can't win as long as you don't spend too much time spinning your tires. Uh, I think like the, the negative stuff is you could argue it's better than positive um, in the short term and when you think about sports NBA unless you win it's a disappointing season and the chance of winning on a neutral standpoint like yeah there might be four teams who can win but it's one in 30 it's more likely you're not going to win than you are so you have to be able to navigate all these negative comments because they're, they're probably really you're going to get that for the majority of your career you look at LeBron um on Twitter compared to his Instagram. His Instagram, everyone loves him on his Twitter. It's the microsecond it's posted, people are like, oh, but you're not better than joy. Oh, it's not this. Like, it's just understanding that all this stuff is value if you're on the creative side and it, and it helps you. Mm, and like you talk about people putting in their two cents, I think um, one polarizing uh, topic around people commenting and people having uh, views on is sports and politics. Um, you know, over the last couple of years, uh, particularly in the NBA, but around the world, um, you know, sport has been used as, as a platform or a domain to, to uh, for guys and girls to um, share their, their views on um, issues that I guess cut through country, cut through um, types of people, languages, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but um there's obviously a major uh, a subsection of people that um, want sport and politics to be totally separate. And um, I guess sort of, where do you sit on that? I think there is no, like there, there is not two different fields. Um, and it's funny because you hear the people who talk about, Oh, you need to keep this. Whenever it's something they don't like, it's, it's sport and politics. Whenever it's something they do, it's, it's a good thing. You know, you have, the Prime Minister of Australia always seen at sporting events. The argument on the other side is, well, dude, that's not politics. So, like, get out. Um, you know, you shouldn't have this two cents or whatever team you support. But I think it, it's freedom and that it should always be pro-freedom to do what you want to do, um, no matter what. The best, the best example that I've seen um, in the most last few months is once he once the boomers won one bronze and you look at the photo of him on the podium aboriginal flag torres strait island flag australian flag i didn't hear anything bad about that like i didn't hear anything bad about that at all whereas in the past and i think this is a testament to the team and, and what they've done but in the past people call that sport and politics and you shouldn't have it there Whereas this photo, uh, I think, has taken down some barriers and be like, hey, this is equal. You know, you have all, you have three flags here. It's an equal representation. We like that. Um, I think it just depends on the day and, and who you are. I, I, I think if you, if you have a platform, you should use it. Um, you have, if Andrew Bogan and Paddy Mills can play on the same team with different beliefs and get along, then I think a, a lot of other people can as well. It's not about like 
it's not about that with sport. When people play sport, it's for the love, it's for the passion, it's for your country, whatever it is. And no two people are the same and they're allowed to have their, their different beliefs. It's more the most people who comment on this topic are people who have never played sport and are usually from, I don't know, one socioeconomic group or, or, or race that have the more, more of an issue with this than, than the other side. So I don't, I always get, I always hear it being someone of color. And if you say something, oh, you can't do that because it's politics and it's sport. And yeah, I don't know, man. It's just, it's so, it's so overblown with, with the usage and, and how people bring it up when it, when it fits their narrative. But I mean, even you'd be able to say something about this being someone who doesn't identify as white and playing sport in somewhere like Australia. Hmm. I, I, I was just going to say, um, in, in addition to that, just around the narrative of um, salaries and like, obviously you're dealing with NBA guys um, and, you know, uh, we go back to Paddy switching teams, um, you know, you Google Paddy's salary and know it straight away, right? But um, uh, same with Aaron, same with pretty much everyone in the NBA, right? Um, and that's something that we just kind of haven't developed in Australia where, um, the transparency of what guys are earning um, and, and I guess just a true understanding of, of what people are, I guess, earning their salaries. And then I guess um, the media being able to be a bit more accountable on, on these salaries as well. Do you think there's, there'll ever be a time in Australian sport um, in, in the short term where um, salaries are public and, and disclosed, uh, particularly in the Australian sporting leagues, now that you've obviously had experience with the NRL? I think some leagues maybe. I think the AFL and the NRL have a chance. The NBL maybe one day. But there there has to be like a once the lower wages are up, I think there's more of a chance for this. Um just because when you think of sport in Australia and you think of like the kid down the end of the bench and you think of what their wage is. And if it's minimum wage or if it's under minimum wage, it's going to do more harm than good when you see someone else who's on like well into the the six figures mm. and whatnot. Um, the NBA, it's th- that's just what it comes with because there's very strict. This is the salary cap. It's very transparent. This is your contracts combined. This is the amount of tax you have to pay. Um, and I, I don't know if it's relevant, if it's needed right now in Australia, in Australian sport, to be honest, because of, Paddy Mills, you can look at his contract and it's worth more than the whole of an NRL team plus staff, plus coaches, plus whoever works at that thing is not making what Paddy Mills makes. So what what is the point of dividing up an NRL's team just for other people to criticise and nitpick? Um, I, I feel it does more harm than good um, right now. And unless there's... Because in the NBA, you also have to think there's some statements out there that show what certain levels of the media are paid as well so the problem in nba reporters you you can figure out what they're paid you'd have to do the same on the australian level to take that level of scrutiny from a media reporter commenting on uh, an nrl or an afl team salary which is i mean tiny compared to us Mm, yeah it's it's always a um an interesting topic around whether that actually like affects the player. But I think like from an American's perspective, it's just, it's been around so long. It's just so out open in the open that it's just, it's a number at the end of the day. It doesn't really sort of affect anyone unless it's, you know, a guy's getting, you know, three years, X amount of money and he's come from nowhere. And it's like, what the hell is this? You know, and there's just some tampering issue or whatever, you know, topic for another day <laughs> but if we move into one more uh, thing on that like yeah the difference in the u.s is most of the criticism on these big contracts is not really coming from the most i know legitimate journalists like the woes and the shams and these kind of guys in the nba they're not criticizing people's contracts whereas the main media outlets in australia like the whoever talks about rugby they criticize these guys and what they're paid when they're not playing to that standard. And I think that's the main issue as to why you would never disclose these contracts because they'd just find someone's name 
and they'd give you all these players who are paid less who are arguably playing better than this player who played this. Like that doesn't happen in the NBA from the, the highest accredited people who are allowed to report the game. Mm, yeah, it's... Like um, is, it, it, you can't show me a tweet that says from Woj or Shams that talks about how bad a player is playing during the season who's on exit. You just don't see that level of professionalism in Australian sports from the highest sports writers because we're still in the clickbait era here in the small market of Australia. And unless you're doing, there's not a big enough market to just report facts like there is in the NBA with, with trades. It's, if there's a trade or whatever in AFL, it's, there's always more insinuated than just the fact that Woj or someone gives. I think that's a very underrated point. Sorry, I just wanted to add that in. No, that's um. I, I was going to actually talk about Shams and Woj. Um, I just missed that on on my phone notes. It just went to sleep. So <laughs> we like people always, and it's brought up every year. You know, should we disclose player salaries in Australia? I think the other end has to be dialed in first. You have to have the media and the networks and all these people who talk about this stuff. Like all this shit has to be dialed in in order to get to that level. It's just going to be a frenzy on the guys who actually give you the product. And that's not good for the game. Like there has to be, I can't tell you who names facts only in Australia. No one. You have networks, you have leagues, you have fan accounts, teams, and you don't know who kind of does what, you know, at, at any said time there's, there's shade thrown from all these people, but there's not that one or two or three who you just know report facts and, and that's it. Um, I guess moving on for yourself, um, just around it, it's off-season time in the NBA. Um, you know, uh, trades have happened and, it, and it's that uh, workout environment now and, and we see a lot of these workout videos. I think it's a personal choice in what kind of role that and image people want to give out and that's what some people feel helps them, whether that's mentally or, or stock or, or whatever this thing may be. But if you're in the space or if you've been even lucky enough to see these guys in real life, um, to me, that's when when you look at these videos, I don't really watch Ben Simmons shooting in open gym because I've seen him play in real life. I know what he can do. Um, he's a 6'11 guy who can run, jump, do all these things. If he's shooting or not, is not what he's going to get paid for. People are like, oh, if he could shoot, he could do this. It doesn't matter. He's a max player now. So he's going to be a max player. You know, you, you don't find guys this big who play defense, rebound, create for others, get on the rim. You don't find them anywhere. You know, if he shoots, then he'll get criticism. Oh, he should be going to the rim. He's 6'11", stop shooting. Um, I, I don't really buy into the whole off-court kind of, oh, this is what we're doing this year. I find more more humor in it from a, just from a personal standpoint. Like, I love the hoodie mellow kind of off-season workouts and, you know, he gets this little hoodie on and doesn't miss for an hour or whatever they make it look like. I'm more like it for that standpoint. And I think the players do too. I don't think it's to prove people who don't know anything about basketball wrong. I think it's for their own enjoyment and just to put out cool content. And again, like I said before, if I'm behind hypothetically Ben Simmons, my money's going up because all you guys are commenting saying you're two cents. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter what you say. You're, you're still making this guy um, more money. And people say, oh, you know, we want to see it in the season. And that goes for every player. Every player in an off-season workout is not going to post their misses. I don't know why people are wanting to do that. You know, I don't know. What, the, what do they want from these guys? Do they want to just see a whole hour on YouTube on a wide angle so they can write stats up and, and, and talk about that. And no, the NBA guy is not going to show you what it takes to be an NBA player. <laughs> when you strip it all back, the, the guys are secretive with, with how they work all the time because they might feel that's their advantage. That might be their next career year or that might be how they're staying in the league or whatever. So I, I think that's more of a, a, a fan obsession. Like for me, I, I think there's value in it. If the player likes to do it, there's definitely value in it for engagement, good or bad. But I don't really have a, a stance on critiquing them or uh, I've never seen a workout video and be like, wow, that's going to be crazy next season. I guess like moving forward for yourself, um, you know, we've just finished a, or you've just finished a boomers, a successful boomers campaign. 
um, sort of, I guess, decompressing from that. Um, I'm, I'm sure you'll have your, your um, MBA stuff continually going forward, but like, what's the sort of next sort of six months to 12 months um, look for you? Um, conscious that obviously we're, we're in this um, crazy pandemic and, and no months look the same, let alone weeks. I think the immediate short-term goal is, or the immediate thing at the front of my mind is, how do I get out of this pandemic? You know, like, how do I get out of this this five-kilometre bubble around my house and go back to being able to do what I do, which is, um, at the moment, making fun stuff. So that's the first challenge. The next one, like, creatively for me, I don't have, like, an end goal. Like, I don't have this big Hollywood movie or whatever it is I want to make. All, all my goals... I feel what left in the basketball days. I, I do this for fun. I do this to be able to hang out with my friends and, and to make stuff that I feel would be interesting. Um, and it's just it's just seeing what what happens. You know, I'm looking forward to, to Paris. I really think that would be a sick Olympics. Like, can I make a boomers documentary of all the stuff that we just had um, go on over this training camp? What does that look like? You know, can we do a Aaron Baines documentary can we can we start building out a Patty Mills documentary like all these things that we just have boatloads of content for is it the time to make that you know or or we keep building the boomers one it's a lot easier to say hey you should probably do something with that stuff you know but I I don't I'm not really too sure and and I'm so okay with that because that's how it started in this space for me you know I went to London I was like oh maybe I can make a video and things just seem to happen but um, definitely really hamstrung with this whole situation right now. And it's easier to go to the USA than it is to get to Queensland. Um, so I think unless I want to make stuff, being a director on Zoom, I uh, don't really have much interest in that. Then I feel it's going to be just a, more of a holding pattern and seeing what's on my hard drives and what I can actually create just due to the the circumstances and i guess this one to to wrap this up like where do you see like the next sort of evolution of um content creation i guess you can call it or, or brand building um not just in an athlete perspective i guess in and anyone that sort of lives on these digital platforms and i guess earns a living at the end of the day from these digital platforms um be it you know your accounts, your meme accounts, for example, or your, you know, your sports center type accounts, which uh, reproduce highlight videos, or even, you know, your, um, you know, accounts that have quotes or et cetera, et cetera. I think we're definitely going to see new platforms that are in more of the crypto space, which are decentralized media platforms, um, no algorithms none of this stuff, just more how it is. And I think we're going to see a lot of athletes in this space kind of leading the charge there because they're the ones who take the most battering on these accounts and they don't need to do that. You know, this is something for them to show their share their life. Um, and you have all these accounts that can be controlled by a few people. I think there's going to be stuff that is uncontrollable and that you can't, you're not going to see a government ad on this side and you're not going to see I don't know, whatever you don't believe and you can just go back to how these things used to be. You follow who you want to follow. You see it in order. Um, and, and I think you'll see a lot of athletes coming together to, to make these platforms. Um, LeBron's uninterrupted and that whole thing is, in my opinion, like the best tester to show that this stuff works. So if, if they make their own platforms, you pick a few people and you really build something special for that niche, um, I think we'll see that. I don't know when, but I know the platforms now and this whole pandemic and the toll that it's taken on people mentally and what they have to see every day, I feel it's going to come and just going to be more decentralized and have more freedom back to the people who use the platform and, and not the platform treating the, the people like a, a user. On that note, I'll, I'll let you go. But um, before I do, um, is there any sort of things that people can sort of um, look you up on, um, find your work, find your boomers' work, your Mills' work, your, your Baines' work, etc.? Just look at those accounts that you just said. That's where it all is. It's, it's not really on my personal accounts. Um, 
yeah, it's, it's just those guys. And whenever there's an Olympics on, get to that Boomers account. For sure, man. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Cheers. Thank you.